Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where the discussion ranges from employee safety, environmental protection, policy creation, training methods, employee engagement, and everything in between. Your host is Dr. Mark French. As an industrial and organizational psychologist and certified safety professional, he's going to share information and anecdotes from years of experience in the people side of safety. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It is a motivational need that defines the culture of your organization. Employee safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone through direct behavioral engagement. That is why your organization should be using safety as a key method to learn about your culture and lead your teams. Thanks for joining this episode as we talk through current issues in EHS and how they impact our everyday workplace. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. So happy that you could join me this week as we talk through leadership and how safety is really a key component of that leadership. So uh, hopefully um, this month is the OSHA National Stand Down for Falls and Construction. Want to kind of kick off. Hopefully you participate in that the very first week of May was the stand down itself, but there, there's a whole month worth of activities and there's a lot of items on the OSHA webpage that you could look at, that you can distribute, lots of nice graphics that really describe falls in construction and why they are the most fatal uh, event in a construction industry. And that's something we need to get our hands around. It's something preventable. And to raise awareness of the steps and the processes and the things that we can do as safety professionals, the things we can empower our team to do, so important. And really happy that that's going on. Hopefully you were able to get some of that information. Uh, If not, go. Go get it now. Uh, It's better late than never. Okay, so you missed the first week of May. That's okay. It's, It's about empowering. It's about giving our team the information. It's about transparency in the safety field, which I've always thought is so important. Uh, A good friend that I met years ago said it best when there's no trade secrets in safety. We should be sharing openly. If we can protect a life, if we can protect a person, let's do it. Let's share that knowledge. So anyway, we'll move move on from there. Um, Hopefully you'll have an opportunity to participate, even expand it. It, it, Even in construction, that's super important. Expand it to the rest of your team. Maybe a nice slip, trip, or fall. Uh, Talk to your office staff about cords or drawers that stick out. So take time to think about just even beyond your business of construction. And let's talk about falls this month and how we prevent them. All right, we'll move on to a different topic. I just wanted to kind of kick off with that and uh, really good topic there. So interesting, Oregon has been one of the first states to adopt some regulations empowering OSHA uh, specifically for COVID-19. Now, hopefully we're on the backside of that. Hopefully we're going to get past that soon with vaccination rates coming up. And I think there's a lot of positive information coming as we cross those hurdles, or at least I hope so. I'm generally optimistic, so I'm going to keep that and go with it. (laughs) Um, But what's interesting here is the way that they have rolled this out, uh, it... I have some mixed feelings. I think it's some good guidance. I think they have some interesting regulations there about cleaning, distancing, empowering employees, training. 
but they're also like hitting it hard on compliance very quickly. And I'm not sure there was enough time to really educate and let the education part of what OSHA has to do be effective uh, because some of the small businesses are really upset over some of the huge fines they're getting. They are saying that some of the violations are somewhere anywhere from 100 to 12,000 if it's uh, first time. Uh, if they think it's willful, it could be 8,000 to almost 125,000. So that really sets a tone for a small business. Uh, if something goes wrong, money like that can be very tight, especially in the face of COVID. Let's say you've just reopened, suddenly OSHA shows up, and you have a fine for hundreds or thousands of dollars. That could be exceptionally detrimental. And I know, I'm not saying that the ignorance of the law is acceptance, but I also think the expectation has to have time to be set and that there should be, because when you're hurting for money, I, we know that from Maslow's hierarchy, the one thing we're first going to do is we're going to provide for our family. We're going to focus on getting food, water, shelter before we focus on safety. And in this case, there may have been some merging of the two roads as we were eager to get some things open. And there was a restaurant that was fine. That's kind of where this article that I came across really started focusing was that OSHA's statement was, we don't give warnings, we give fines. And I was like, whoa, man, that's tight. That's tough because there is an education department and you can reach out to them, but I'm not sure they're backlogged. Sometimes they're very backlogged in getting information or help out there. And I think that's where we've had such fast information in the world of COVID-19. The information has been changing. The As we learn more about the variants, as we learn more about the virus itself, we have changed the guidance. As a country, as a world, some things have been consistent. Wash your hands, social distance, the mask. Remember, that was a later thing than maybe the double mask or even further on. Um, the cleaning techniques that we can use, the vaccinations. We're now learning how does the vaccination, can you still be a carrier? Can you still distribute? Uh, what's your risk of the variants? Um, there's still a lot of non-information that we're learning uh, because this is a very developing process and the science is working very fast. I think there's some great science going on out there that is helping us accelerate our knowledge and accelerate what we should be doing. Political, all politics aside, you've heard me say this throughout the whole COVID thing, because that's, <laughs> there's, you can't help but know there's politics behind it somewhere, but there's also some science and there's, and there's some hardworking people that are developing the science. So we're going to give them some great credit for the work they do, regardless of any agenda on any side of what we're doing all around. But because it's moving so fast, the regulation came out. I mean, it was fast. I mean, it was like it was issued and then their citations. I'm not so sure that that was enough time to help really equip the small businesses because a lot of the larger businesses that were allowed to stay open, they're the ones that shaped some of the regulations. They were the ones already doing this stuff. They'd already perfected it or gotten to the top of the class. And so they had that advantage of already being there. And of course, larger businesses have the advantage of having funding that is already there. 
And so these small businesses, I don't think had enough time to get ready for it. So if you're a small business owner and you're trying to get yourself back open or going, pay attention to some of these things. Um, just really look at it and give good effort towards it. Don't be negligent and pretend that the idea that, well, if I don't know, they can't come get me. Not true. Not true. Um, not knowing the law is not the same as following it. I mean, you got to be able to get in there and understand it and move forward for it. So really do encourage that to look at it, see what is going on and what other businesses are having to do. And do your best to give it the effort to protect your team from this, regardless of views or anything else. Give them the tools. Give them the empowerment. And that's what safety is about anyway, is that you need to be doing it, but there also has to be the perception of doing it. And I'm not saying the two things are the same, but a, a lot of times what I have seen is that a company can do a lot of really good safety things, and there can still be the attitude of my company doesn't care. And it's all about marketing the great things and safety that you're doing. So if you're doing some really good things, talk about them, encourage them, empower them, give them the tools and let them know these tools are for your safety and just keep getting that message there because you can't over communicate safety. You just can't. Uh, it's one of those great messages that you just got to keep pushing. So I encourage you look at some of these things about how do you clean how do you social distance? What PPE do you need to provide? And especially what training do you need to provide to let them know if you're not feeling well or temperature checks, what is the protocols? How are we going to handle it? What are we going to do? That's the key. And every state, every organization is kind of a little bit different, but that's something we have to focus on as we go forward and as we try to finish up and really beat this COVID thing as a nation. More podcast coming up in just a moment. You've got a friend in the safety business. Who wants to help your team work safer? The safety dude. Who wants to help your leadership engage through safety? Again, the safety dude. Who is there to take your safety systems to the next level? That's right, the safety dude. Who has the knowledge and skill to drive safety ownership? You know it, the safety dude. So who is the safety dude? Dr. Mark French is an experienced and credentialized safety professional with a focus on the organizational psychology of your company. You can find a safety dude at TSD Amalgamated Safety Consulting, where he is ready to focus on your team's safety www.tsdamoglamated.com. Welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. The next article that I came across um, was really interesting. This is out of Canada. And a lot of times you, you think of the industrial accident of being a construction fall or lockout tagout failure, hot work failure, explosions, um, machinery, guarding, things like that, confined space entries. There's risk in a lot of places. And even though we think that that person knows or that person's equipped, this story really shows that there has to be that process. And it doesn't have to be a super long, detailed process. 
But there needs to be some form of process with any work that you do that either A, it's standard work and the safety is built in and we're going to follow the standard, we're going to audit the standard, and we're going to make sure we're following the standard. Or in some cases, work can sometimes be somewhat similar. You're doing the same job, but the environment changes. Service technicians, for example, they're in all kinds of different businesses, and they need to look at the different hazards that they're encountering as they enter that business. Their work is generally the same. They're doing certain styles of work, but it's the environment that changes. And that's why a job safety analysis or a job hazard analysis or whatever you want to call it is so important and not just the paper part. The part that you actually talk about it and that you cover it moments before you go and do it. And if things change, you stop and you talk. You don't try to jump in and make snap decisions unless it's life or death. If someone's in serious danger, you got to make some decisions quick. Um, but in most cases, you want to take a moment and go, hey, is that really what we need to do? So here's the story. It's absolutely tragic. And... It's tough because it's there's so much here culturally and leadership-wise that goes on. And so this engineer, he is a civil engineer. They're out doing some survey work near a reservoir. So there's like a dam and things that are there. And, of course, with those, there's always weird currents around those because of the way the water is flowing, the way it's open, how much is it open. Lots of variables there. Well, somehow a piece of the equipment starts, got into the water, starts going away. The young man, um, avid swimmer, good shape, says, hey guys, I'm going to go get that thing because that's, I'll get it for you. And he gets out of his clothes and he just jumps and he goes. He doesn't come back. Uh, he drowns. Um, there's evidently some trauma, maybe, then who knows what may have hit him in the water or bumped into him. And the family's trying to get answers. The, the story is that that family has asked answers from the local safety organizations, from the county, from the, their area. Uh, also, the the employer, they're trying to get information. Um, and they've seen some things be inconsistent with some of the information they've been receiving. So they went to the news media and said, we need help. And so it brought the story up um, to where I was able to see it. And that's why they wrote the story was that the family wants answers on what is going on. So he swims out. No one says no, because there was time he didn't just jump in fully clothed. I mean, he took off his clothing. He put his stuff aside. He told everybody, I'm a good swimmer. I'm going to go. And the rest of the team was like, yeah, go get that piece of equipment. There should have been some stop work there. There should have been some sort of protocol that says if your equipment is, you're not, you don't have a life vest. You don't have a, t a rope to pull you back in. You have no rescue equipment. There's no, there's no evidence that there was thought behind it. And that's unfortunate because if someone had just say, Hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable with you jumping in there because that piece of equipment, yeah, it's expensive, but we'll figure that out later. We don't want anyone at risk. We need the right tools. We can maybe call somebody with a boat. We'll go find a boat, follow it. I mean, we'll walk down the, the edge of the, the area here and we'll kind of follow and see where it goes. Maybe it'll land somewhere we can get it, but don't go out there yet. We haven't thought this through. But there was so much culture to it. A little bit of groupthink that someone tells you they're a really great, great swimmer. They're eager to go do it. And it sounds like a great idea at the moment. Like, yeah, we need to get that equipment back or the boss is going to be mad. And there's the other idea is that was there the, the process or even the cultural impact of someone saying, 
Don't worry about the equipment ever. Worry about you. If it starts lightning and you can't get to it, get into a shelter. If it's out in the water, if there's bees or there's wasps or snakes around it, don't go get it. Don't don't do that. Wait. There needs to be a culture of that. And we've talked through, I've talked through that a few times where people understand they've got to make money. They've got to have a job because that's food, water, shelter. They'll put that ahead of their own personal safety if they think they can impact their food, water, and shelter. And so a company has to work harder to talk about safety because the most people understand that when you go, we got to get this done, they just think we got to get this done. They don't think of we've got to get this done safely because that's not our human nature. That's not our key motivation. And so he jumps in. And that's another thing I've been really thinking about lately is rescue. And no one in the safety industry ever wants to rely on rescue. We don't want to rely on the worst case scenario. What do we do when we respond to an emergency? But it's something that when you read safety manuals, when you go into a process safety management, all of it is about rescue. Uh, there, there's always that final case that what if the worst case happens? What is the very last thing? You need to be prepared for the emergency and the response or the rescue that you have to do. That has to be a thought. And I've heard that argument before uh, for people in organizations that have not wanted to invest in rescue or not wanted to do the training or not wanted to go through the whole process of learning rescue or emergency techniques is that, well, if the safety guy was doing their job and had a safe place, we would never have to do rescue. So you're saying you're not doing a good job. Wow. You want to talk about a safety professional being put into a very tough situation and a very unfortunate, a very biased, and a very terrible situation. If you ever hear that from your boss or from your organization as a safety professional, that is one of the first indicators that it's time to go. <laughs> it's time to get going because they're ignoring the truth and they're ignoring the fact that there's issues there and it shows they don't want to invest in it. So fortunately, I mean, personally, I've never heard that. So, but I have talked to safety professionals that have heard it and that argument is there. It's, it's, and it's unfortunate and we have to be prepared. We know that as safety professionals, but in this case here, what if they thought about that? Like what if the worst case scenario happens? What if they just suddenly open up this reservoir and water starts pouring out? Cause we don't know what they're doing. What if there are animals? What if there is, it's super cold. What do we do then? How would we get you back? And it's, it's unfortunate that no one was willing to say no. And I'm sure that weighs very heavy on everyone involved. And that is, that's tough and it's rough and it's devastating. And it's part of the safety world and it's part of the thought process that is in the safety world. And what's so bad is a lot of cases, probably let's say call it 80%, just for a round number, it probably would have went well. And there was just something that happened this time that it didn't go well. And that's why a lot of people do shortcuts is because they've gotten away with them or they do weird processes because it's worked 99 out of 100 times. And there's always that one time that it doesn't. And that's one of the hard things we have to convince people of in the safety world is just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean the risk isn't there. The risk is there. And is it an acceptable risk? In a lot of cases, some risk is just not as acceptable as we think it is because 
there's laws against it. So anyway, uh, I do want to end on a little bit of a happier note. For those of you who are uh, a little bit nerdy like I am or geeky, this is my 42nd podcast. So technically, this would be the answer to life and everything. If you're a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan, (laughs) I have now hit episode number 42. So this is the answer. You found it. Here it is. Now I've just got to try to figure out what question I was trying to ask. Anyway, until next time we chat, stay safe. listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the web at www.thesafetydude.org. All opinions expressed on the program are solely the view of the individual and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast.